If you have your Bibles today, you can follow along with us in Ephesians chapter 6. And we are in the next steps with regard to our children. And before you tune out, those who do not have kids or those who have primarily is because we are all children of somebody and we are all parents of somebody uh, or we will hopefully be parents of somebody maybe one day or we're grandparents of some day, somebody. Uh, in, in some way, I promise you that this sermon touches your life where you are right now today. Uh, we all want to take that next step to be good sons and daughters, to be good children, and to be good parents. We want to be good grandparents for those who are grandparents this morning. You want to be involved in your grandchildren's lives. You want to pour yourself into them. And when it comes to raising kids, we're oftentimes overwhelmed by the immensity and the importance of the job laid before us. We know our own weaknesses and we are intimidated as we look at what is ahead. And so it's a wonderful thing that God gives us this passage of scripture this morning that we read together in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Because all children alarm their parents. If only because you're forever expecting to encounter yourself, right? We know our own weaknesses. And we know what we ourselves bring to the table. And we know the immensity of the task before us. And we know that only in Christ, as we follow His will, experiencing the power of His Holy Spirit at work within us, can we ever take this little one and help raise this little one in cooperation with what God is already at work doing in their life to raise them up to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, a person of faith, someone who loves Jesus and is obedient to Him. This week as I was preparing for this, I read a story about a man named Owen Wister, an old college friend of Theodore Roosevelt. One day he was visiting his old college roommate in the White House. I wish that one of my roommates had become president or done something famous. My roommates are just nobodies from college. But this fella, his roommate in college became the president of the United States. And so he took occasion to go to the White House and visit Theodore Roosevelt uh, while he was serving as president. And as he was visiting, Roosevelt's daughter Alice kept running in and out of the room, in and out of the room, in and out of the room. And finally, Wister asked, isn't there something you can do about your daughter? To which Roosevelt replied, I can do one of two things. I can either be president of the United States or I can control Alice. I cannot do both. <laughs> which would you have me do? You ever feel that way? Some of you guys who are grandparents in here, you had those days, didn't you? And some of you who are parents now, you, you have those days, don't you? Uh, when you feel like it's everything you can do to be a mom, everything that you can do to be a dad, and it requires all of the energy and all of the effort and all of the attention that you can give to anything. I remember one day, not long after Zachary was born, I asked Kim one day, I, I turned to her and I said, what did we do before this child was born? Because we do nothing else now except this child. He's either eating he either needs his diaper changed to be fed, to be clothed, to be cuddled, to be rocked, to be played with. It's something every minute of the day, it seems. And it requires all of our attention. 
And some days it requires more than other days. Now, this is not to discourage any of you from having kids. It's a wonderful experience, right? That's why we had Ava, right? And, and it, didn't, it didn't deter us in that sense. You love these kids. But, but they, they require so much. And when you look at the task ahead of raising them in Christ, it's something beyond what we can do for ourselves, isn't it? Something more. See, I can put a diaper on a child and I can clothe a child and I can, I can, 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 can do many things for my children. But when I look at the spiritual, the responsibility spiritually to raise them up to know and to love Jesus, it's something beyond me. It's a cooperative effort with Christ. It's something I must press in and depend upon the Holy Spirit to do within me. And thank God we have these verses, right? That help us to understand God's part in this and how God, uh, uses us and intends for us to cooperate with Him in this process of raising up these children. And let me tell you something. I don't care if your children are 1, 2, 3 years old or 13, 14, 15 year old or if they're 40, 45, or 50 years old. This passage is for you. We are always in a cooperative effort to help guide our children to follow Christ. You're going to see that this morning. And for some of you, it's going to be a great surprise. And I just want to say as a point of emphasis before we move on here, that today we have more generations living together on earth than at any other time in human history. The potential for impact for grandparents in the process of raising up kids has never been greater. You as grandparents have a wonderful opportunity that many generations before you, most generations before you, I'd say every generation before you except maybe the one right before you has never known because they didn't live long enough to experience it to see your grandkids grow up and become adults and even have children of their own. So let's take a look at it. Let's look at God's plan for how it is that we are to raise these kids. Well, to begin with, any plan to raise Christian children begins with the right expectations of the kids themselves. Scripture says here that children are to obey and honor their parents. Now, this is interesting on a number of levels. First of all, let's just take the word obey. The word obey means to hearken to, that is to listen to and to submit to. Remember that word submission we talked about last week? It means to revere, to honor, to respect. So they're to listen to and to submit to their parents. But when we look at the word child here, when we look at at, at the word children in verse 1, that very first word there, it means in the Greek to be the son of another. So, so this is a responsibility and an opportunity for the whole of life here, guys. Nowhere in Scripture does it end. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you are to cease listening to your parents. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you are to cease, cease uh, respecting or revering or honoring your parents, or that someday you no longer have to listen to your parents. This must be a, a real downer for some here this morning who are going through those years when you, you think, well, someday I'm going to be 18 and I'm never going to have to listen to them again, right? Guys, listen, you're going to want to listen to them later in life, and you may think you want to stop listening to them now, but either way, Scripture is very clear on this point. You are to always listen to your mom and your dad. Now, we know that, that although Scripture never speaks to a time when this relationship ends in this sense, it does evolve somewhat as we grow. We look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 20, verse 24. It says, a man will 
And a woman will leave, a man will leave his father and mother and become one flesh. They launch out in their life together with new privileges and responsibilities to each. Now, there was no such thing as single adulthood, uh, generally speaking, back in this day when Genesis speaks to this. So we might interpret Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, that when you launch out and live your life as an adult, the submission to your parents changes in some sense, uh, but it never really ends. You are still to respect, revere, honor, and listen to your parents. You know, this is for our benefit, guys. You see, as long as our parents live, we should respect, honor, revere, and listen to them, and you should take advantage of the guidance God intended your parents to be for the whole of your life. It is for the purpose of guiding us, helping us, utilizing their experiences. Uh, they've seen things we've not seen, experienced things we've not experienced. They, they are supposed to love us and care for us and want the very best for us. So they should be people that we can trust to help us navigate this thing called life. And it doesn't stop. It does not cease this help in this navigating of life when we hit a certain birthday. Isn't that something? Isn't that something that God has given this to us? But he also says here that children to obey their parents because you belong to the Lord or because you are in the Lord. You have this relationship with God and it enables you to do this. I recognize the fact that honoring our parents is easy for many of us and not so easy for others. But I have news for you, whether you had good parents or not, I had great parents, not perfect parents, but great parents, and it is not always easy to listen to them, right? It is not always easy to honor them. But in Christ, we can choose to do so. You can't always choose your circumstances in life, but you can choose your attitude. You can choose the words that come out of your mouth, and you can choose your response. Even when you disagree with your parents, you can choose to honor them, revere them, respect them, love them, and listen to them, and submit to them in the sense that they deserve because they are your mama and your daddy. That is, that you are going to respectfully decline maybe to even do what they say, the course of action that they would, would send you on. But when you do that, you need to do so in the way that honors them. What I'm saying here this morning is not that you should, should just go to your parents with every decision that you have and let them make your decisions for you when you're 35 years old, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that there should never be a time that you stop listening to your parents even if you are 35 years old and respect and honor and revere their opinions therein. Our parents offer us guidance. They offer us direction. And nowhere does it say here that when your parents have earned your respect that you should respect them. Nowhere does it say here when they have earned your honor that you should honor them. God is telling us that in the Lord, because we are His, we have the ability and the obligation to do so. But it's neat. It's a neat thing because Scripture says when we do this, when we honor, listen to, respect our parents, things will go well for us and we will live a long life. It's an amazing thing how much I know that my children don't know. For instance, if you stick your finger in a light socket, it will be bad, right? 
I had to go through my entire house, as most of you do. I don't know how I lived through my childhood because we didn't do this when I was young. But I had to go through my entire house and plug every electrical socket with a childproof little cap, right? So they wouldn't stick their finger in the light socket when I wasn't looking. It's the way I guarded their life. But I am teaching them along the way that if you stick your finger in the light socket, bad things are going to happen to you. You see, they benefit from listening to me. Things go better for their life for not having done that. They will even live longer, perhaps, for not having done that, right? If you run across this parking lot, bad things can happen to you. You need to make sure you're holding my hand. You need to make sure that you're with me, not just dart out in front of cars. If you continue to jump off the couch... It has great potential to be bad news for your arms and legs or some other bone in your body, right? Listen to me. It will go better for you if you do so. And these are funny, comical, kind of small little illustrations of this point. But our parents know things. And if our parents are Christians and they are in Christ and they are giving us sound advice from the Lord, they pray for us, they seek the Lord's best for us, they love us sacrificially. When they give us this information, whatever that information may be, it goes well for us, makes our life better when we listen to them. So what is the responsibility of children? For the whole of our life, it is to honor our parents. It is to love our mom and dad. It is to listen to them, to revere them, to respect them. While we're living at home, completely submit to their authority in our life until we launch out on our own, leaving our father and mother and cleaving unto our wife. And even then, there is no end to this in Scripture, what it teaches us in this passage. There's an evolution of relationship, but we still submit to them. We still love them. We still respect them. We still listen to them. It's what we're called to do. So when we talk about raising Christian kids, we have to start with the responsibility of the kids. And that's the responsibility of all the kids, all of us who are kids. And we are kids. A lot of us are, right? Your mama and daddy's still on earth. You're still a child to somebody. You're somebody's little boy. You're somebody's little girl. And we have that responsibility to revere them and respect them as our parents. But he doesn't stop there. He speaks to us as parents who have the little ones, to grandparents who help to raise the little ones. What are the steps to raising godly Christian children? And before we get into that, let me just say one last thing about this responsibility that we have to parents. Listen, I am speaking in the sense, in the, in the sense that we uh, are, are Christians and have Christian parents. If your parents are leading you to make sinful choices, you are not to submit to that. Okay, better to obey God than to obey men. Right. And we follow Christ. We trust Christ. Now, there are times that we have to obey. And I know there's every caveat and every exception. And we can sit down and talk about some of those things about what it means to obey parents who are non-believers. But I'm talking in the general sense of what this means here. It is teaching us to follow Christ and to follow the parents that Christ Gave us. We can talk about all of the ins and outs and exceptions or whatever you want to talk about after the sermon, all right? But this is what Christ has given us as the responsibility we have as children. But we move on to parents here, and we see the first step in raising Christian kids is to make sure your love of Christ and life in Him are a consistent reality. Hypocrisy will provoke your kids to anger. It's interesting here what Paul says. 
He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. As the very first thing that he says about raising kids. Before he even gets to the discipline and discipleship, he says, you make sure that your life does not provoke your children to anger or to wrath. That is, that is such a bewildering statement to start with. You would think he would start with the fact, okay, you need to make sure that you discipline these kids very, very well, teach them the things of the Lord, disciple them to know God, to know His ways, and to know His Savior, Jesus Christ. But he doesn't start there. He starts with the fathers and their own personal responsibility to consistency. And I really believe that's what he's speaking to here. Do not provoke your children to anger by inconsistency in your life. And what he means by that, I believe, is this. You make sure that what you're saying and what you're doing line up and that you're not telling them to do something that you yourself are not doing. Because if you do that, you will frustrate your kids and you will anger your children as you hold them to a standard that you yourself do not hold to with your life. Now, there are other applications to this, I'm sure of it. Somebody is, is, is treating their children poorly or badly or neglecting them. And certainly you would not want to do these things. But I think one of the greatest applications that can be made for most of us in this room is that we have a consistency in our life which reflects what we believe. To provoke means to exas exasperate, to anger, or to rouse to wrath. I came across something this week that I thought was an interesting illustration of this. Some time ago, there was a Sunday school class of 10-year-olds that was led by Mrs. Imogene Frost in Brookside, New Jersey. And she uh, came up with a list of things, and, and she talked to her kids, came up with this list with her kids on what's wrong with grown-ups. So she asked this group of 10-year-olds, what's wrong with grown-ups? And this is the list that they came up with. Number one, grown-ups make promises, then they forget all about them. Or else they say it really wasn't a promise, just a maybe. Number two, grown-ups don't do the things they're always telling the children to do, like pick up their things or be neat or always tell the truth. Number three, grown-ups never really listen to what children have to say. They always decide ahead of time what they're going to answer. Never listen. Number four, Grown-ups make mistakes, but they won't admit them. They always pretend that they weren't mistakes at all or that somebody else made them. Number five, thought this was an interesting one. Grown-ups interrupt children all the time and think nothing of it. But if a child interrupts a grown-up, he gets a scolding or something worse. Number six, grown-ups never understand how much children want a certain thing, a certain color or shape or size. If it's something they don't admire, even if the children have spent their own money for it, they always say, I can't imagine what you want with that old thing. Number seven, sometimes grown-ups punish children unfairly. Now, this is interesting here. It says, it isn't right if you've done just some little thing wrong and grown-ups take away something that means an awful lot to you. Other times, you can do something really bad and they say they're going to punish you, but then they don't. You never know. And you ought to know. And finally, number eight, grown-ups are always talking about what they did and what they knew when they were 10 years old, but they never try to think what it's like to be 10 years old right now. It's a humbling thing to consider the ways that we might provoke our children to wrath.
by our inconsistencies, the inconsistencies of our life. You know, I thought that last one was interesting because being 10 years old in this day is much different than being 10 years old when we were 10 years old. You know, if you really consider what it's like to be a 10-year-old today, when I was 10 years old and in, in, in way back in 1980, you know, some of you are thinking, where was I in 1980 when he was 10 years old? When I was 10 years old in 1980, life was pretty simple compared to today. I, I, I think to what my son is learning in preschool, I was learning probably in the first grade. Life is much fast, much more of a fast-paced kind of life. They're, they're, they're exposed to so many more things, so many different things. It's just an incredible world in which these kids live. And so we do need to have some understanding. But in the midst of our understanding, we also need to have standards that we hold them to. But those standards need to be our own as well. You see, our children are always watching, always listening, always judging, always learning. How we model what we teach speaks more than any words ever will. How we listen and guide and treat them will encourage or frustrate their growth into Christ-like adulthood. Fathers, don't, don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke your children to anger. Kids need to see consistency. Not hypocrisy. They need to know the expectations we have for them are the expectations that we have for ourselves. And the second thing that I would say that this scripture points to as far as raising our kids is that we should discipline them and we should disciple them. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. Children need to be discipled. And this discipleship is from the Lord. Again, it is a cooperative effort between us and Christ. And this is more than morality. And we need to teach our children the law of God. Uh, because as Paul says in Galatians, the law of God is a schoolmaster. It teaches us right from wrong according to God's standard. And it shows us that we have missed that standard. That we have missed the mark. When I hold my life up against God's law, I see where I have sinned, where I have done wrong, where I have missed the mark. And it shows me something is wrong with me and that I need to be saved from who I am, from this broken, imperfect person, by a perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. So if we want to lead our children to Christ, we need to begin to disciple them right away in what God says is right and wrong. Certainly so. Discipline, discipleship, they go hand in hand. We need to teach our our children the gospel so they know when they are broken and when they realize that they have missed the mark that there is grace, there is mercy, there is love from an infinitely merciful, loving God who sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so we can be forgiven and have new life and eternal life in Him. It is our responsibility to teach these things and it starts early, early on. And if you're sitting there right now saying, I don't know how to do that. And I'm not sure I have any clue how to do that. Listen, there are many, many resources to help you in this process. But you need to understand you have that responsibility. And it starts with you, Dad. This is a word to fathers. And it's a word to fathers and mothers, but it's to fathers more specifically. It is a responsibility that starts with you. The buck stops with you. 
If this doesn't get done, who's going to be ultimately held responsible? You are, Daddy. You are. Absolutely, it's a cooperative effort with your wife. Absolutely, she is as important as you are in this process. Absolutely, she has a great, tremendous responsibility in this process. But this starts, it begins with you. You are the one that is to step out and lead in that. And if you have ceded that responsibility, given up that responsibility, pushed it off on mama, today is the day that you need to repent of that sin because that's what it is, sin. You have taken off and pushed off some of your responsibility on your wife and she does not deserve it and it never was meant to be hers. It is a responsibility that we have to lead these kids. You know, a good place to start to learn this, if you're sitting there today saying, I have no clue, go find a good book to read. I'm reading a book right now. It's called How to Bring Your Children to Christ and Keep Them There by Ray Comfort. It's one of the best books I have ever read on the subject. It's an incredible book. I, in fact, I, I told Rachel, I said, go get this book and read it. I said, we're going we're gonna to sit down and talk about this and how we can, can get this in the hands of our parents because it is a tremendous book on how to raise your kids according to what Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 tells us to do. And, and it gives all kinds of practical examples of this. But I, wanna, I just want to mention one thing, just one, one example of what I'm talking about here. From the time your kids are very, very young, two and three years old or even younger, as soon as they can listen to a story, you need to begin to put those stories into their minds, the truth of Scripture. One thing that, that, that Ray Comfort says in his book, one thing he does, he has family devotionals. They're short. He'll read stories. And he said when his kids were very small, they would do things like this. Kids learn by hearing, right? They learn by seeing. Some of you teachers are shaking your head. Yes, sounds good so far. And they also are tactile learners, right? They want to get their hands on something. And if they hear something, they're going to remember some, a small percentage of what they hear. If they hear and see something, it'll be a little better. But if they hear, see, and can put their hands on something, even more so, right? Exponentially so as far as what they remember. So Ray did this. He said, I would, would, would take the stories and I would act them out. For instance, David and Goliath, I would tell that story to my kids. They would hear it. Might show pictures or something and let them see it. But he said, then we'd act it out. And I would be Goliath, and I'd let them be David, and we'd begin to throw pillows at each other and acted the whole story out. And my kids knew that story. I read that, and the first thing I did is I went to Zachary and Ava and said, we're going to have story time tonight, and we're going to talk about Daniel and the lion's den, and you get to be a lion tonight. And we had a good time. But I guarantee you they'll know the story of Daniel in the lion's den and God's deliverance of Daniel in that lion's den because they were taken through that story in such a way as this. I'm, I'm not saying that you have to be this learned professor that sits down and can give all of the deep theological points of every passage of Scripture. What I'm saying is, is that you can teach the Bible to your kids. You can teach them God's law and God's grace. And you can teach them the reality of God and they can see it in your life as you live it out. And when that happens, you will raise children that know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord of their life. They will love Him and they will follow Him because they have seen that you love Him and that you follow Him and you have taught them the way to do so themselves. To sidestep, though, this responsibility of discipleship and discipline is to condemn your kids. It's a simple choice that we have to make. You can take up the responsibility. You can embrace it. Take it serious, as serious as putting food on your table 
so that they can grow physically. You put the spiritual food on their table so that they can grow spiritually. You can take it seriously like that, or you can shirk, just shirk the responsibility and push it off on somebody else or ignore or think the church is going to do it or they're going to pick it up somewhere. But to do so is to condemn your kids to seek truth on their own, to discover God's truth on their own. It's to condemn them to a life as a lost man or woman. There was a fellow that lived in the 19th century named Charles Francis Adams. He was a political figure and a diplomat. And one day in his diary that he kept, he wrote these words. He said, I went fishing today with my son, a day wasted. His son, Brooke Adams, also kept a diary, which is still in existence to this day. And on that same day, Brooke Adams made this entry in his diary. Went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. The father thought he was wasting time while fishing with his son, but his son saw it as an investment of his time and his life. Every day and all we do, we are raising kids. Grandma, Grandpa, every day in all you do, you are helping to raise those grandkids. Aunt, uncle, friend, whoever you are, every day you're with a child, you have an opportunity to invest in those kids to help them see Christ in you and know of Christ through you. It's a great privilege, it's a great opportunity, and it's a great responsibility. You know, all of us are somebody's child. Many of us in this room had great parents. Some of us may not have had great parents. I had great parents. None of us had perfect parents, right? But, but we're not perfect, right? And we can joke about it, but we're not. And all of us have made mistakes. And some of you may be sitting there this morning saying, I've really, I've really messed up. I've made some mistakes. I've missed some opportunities. But the good news is, as long as your children are here, and as long as you're drawing breath on the earth, the opportunity remains. Now, there may have been some lost opportunities. There may have been some lost chances some lost days in the past, but you live today to see a new tomorrow. And you have an opportunity today to begin to invest. Will they listen to you the same? Will they hear what you're saying? Will they submit to you the same? I don't know. But let me just tell you, for your part, you do what God has called you to do and pray and let God do what he himself will do. You pray for those kids and you begin to love those kids and you begin to invest those kids. And that doesn't mean you pick up the phone today and say, here, the pastor told me I need to list for you five things you can do to make your life better. I'm saying that live your life in Christ and begin to invest in those children with what he has given you as you love them, encourage them, and bless them. Let me tell you, if you want your child to get right with God and you want your child to get back in church, number one, they need to see that you are. And number two, you encourage them rather than lecture them. See, what I'm talking about here is your, your, your opportunity of influence through the way you live and what you say. That you might say to them, listen, I'm praying for you. 
I'm encouraging. Did you go to church today? They said, no, I didn't go to church today. They said, well, I'm praying for you. I hope that you will next week. You don't have to give them a lecture. You just talk to them about how important the, the life of the church is in your life and how Christ has impacted your life. Talk about your relationship with Christ. Interject that in there every chance you get. You prayed for somebody and God answered. You're praying over something and you're looking forward to God's answer. When they can see your faith and who Christ is and what he's doing in your life, then that begins to impact and influence them. It's not about giving them a sermon. It's about giving them encouragement. It's about allowing them to look into your life and see how you live and how your life backs up what you say you believe. That is more of a sermon than anything you'll hear on a Sunday morning. And that opportunity exists until the day you leave this earth or the day they do. You are a parent, and you will always be a parent until you die or until your children do. Until one of you leaves the earth for glory or somewhere else, you're a parent. Whether your children are six months old or 60 years old, you are still a parent. And that opportunity still exists today. So you pray. And you ask for God's forgiveness for lost time or lost opportunities. And then you begin to pray, Lord, I give to you whatever's left. And Lord, I ask that you'll take me and that you'll use me as his, his father. Or, or you, you may be one to pray this morning that you'll use me as his mama. And just pray, Lord, let my children see that what I say is what I actually believe. And how I live reflects what I say. Lord, help me to influence, help me to encourage, help me to bless. Use me from this day forward to lead them to you. Because there are no hopeless causes and no hopeless people. And in Christ and in his power and in the cooperative effort that we have with him, there is no telling, even in our wildest imagination, what God might still yet do with our kids, regardless of where they are. He's called them to obey. He's called them to honor. He's called them to listen, respect, revere, and honor you. It's their choice to do so. You pray that they will because it's God's will for their life. And then you begin to follow God's will for your own. And you leave the results up to Him. We serve a mighty God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Greater is His Spirit and His power within us than any power in the world or any spiritual power in the heavenlies. Our God is God. We are not. He is. So we submit our lives and our kids to Him, and we make the decision that we're going to follow Him and leave it to Him.